Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1-5-2022, and we're beginning our Bible study this evening. We're going to have to begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We thank you that we're here in 2022. So many didn't make it, and as we mourn the loss of so many, over, especially even of COVID, uh, over 800,000 just in this country alone. So, Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for those who are mourning the loss of life and their relatives and loved ones. Father, we pray for the Lopez family this evening who lost Angel, and um, we know there's two kids there um, grieving even as we speak. So, Father, also we have relatives who are in the hospital from COVID, who have COVID. And Father, we, we pray as we leave all of these things at your doorstep so that we can focus on you now. So we pray for wisdom as we open your word, that we will have clarity and understanding uh, of the text that is in front of us. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. So as you know, our normal course of study is in Romans chapter 10. And we're looking at verse, five, uh, verse 8, Romans 10, 8 today. But just to note, there are many more resources, sermons, articles, um, videos you can find on our website, which is wordistruth.com. You can go there and uh, explore what interests you from, uh, we have material there that dates back all the way to 2007, six, six or seven, and over the years. So uh, just to give some notice about our website, just it is a great resource, but we have in front of us Romans 10 and verse 8 today. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. As we continue our journey to understand why Israel failed, we must also know that God is merciful and will not cast away his people. Quote, concerning the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for your sake, that is the church. But concerning the election, they, Israel, are beloved for the sake of the father, fathers. That's Romans 11 and 28. To note, in one sentence he says they are are enemies, and in the same sentence, they are also beloved. Israel will one day shine as the brightest light in the world. However, right now, that is not the case. It is good to know the failures of Israel for a couple of reasons. One, we do not want to repeat their failures. And two, quote, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. That's 1 Corinthians 9 and 20. So, as we get into this verse, those are things to remember. As we, you know, I thought, I said, man, you know, I've talked about Israel. And sometimes you might get the impression that I hate Israel or something. That's not the case. Because I speak about their failures and shortcomings, I do not necessarily hate them. God doesn't hate them. God sees that he is going to restore Israel. They will fulfill the purpose for which he has called them. And it is not something that we can dismiss as a part that that it is not a part of God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose includes the component part of Israel. So, let's dig in 
and see what we can derive from these phrases. So the first phrase is, but what does it say? Uh, it's kind of like hanging out there, so we need to at least define that. So point A is we saw what the righteousness that is by faith says, and that, or, or does not say in the previous verse. So let us explore what it does say going forward. So when we say what it does not say, we have to go back and read the previous verse to make sure we understood what verses 6 and 7 said. Here's the quote, 6 and 7. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up for, from the dead. So it says, don't say that. Not to, you are not to say that that is how you should respond to the gospel. So, but what? How should we respond? Should be the question, and that is verse eight. We understand what we are not to do. Now, what should we do? So let's let's get to point B. So let's review. The first point is we must leave the heavy lifting to God. All the work necessary for us to have a righteous standing before God has been done and not by us. So that's something to consider when we talk about heavy lifting. Um, we're talking about those previous verses. So what should I can, Do we have to go up to heaven to bring Christ down? In other words, for the Jews, remember, Christ hadn't come yet. So if Christ hadn't come, then for them... The Messiah meant salvation. But no, Christ has already come. And he was revealed in the Old Testament as the one to come, and their salvation was based on the promise. But now Christ has come. So there is no work for the Jew to do to bring Christ down. Or the fact that Christ died, how are we going to get him resurrected? God does all of that. We did none of that. All we know is we hear the story of the gospel, what, what he did to reconcile us to the Father, and we understand that. that that's, that's where it is. That's all there is to do for us. So when we're reviewing this, the thought here, it, 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 we have to understand that it's, it's none of it by us. And we can get a righteous standing before God. When we say righteous, we mean that we are acceptable in his sight. God accepts us as righteous, as he is righteous. We don't violate his standards in any way. And his standards are perfect. The only way it could possibly be met is by Christ's righteousness, righteousness by faith. Point number two, it will be impossible to, an impossible task for us to achieve a righteous standing on our own because of the bad news. Now, we already have read Romans 3, 9 through 21, but I just want you to read it. And make sure as you read this, you read it in context because these verses are not, are not isolated they sort of flow together as, as reasoning comes from it. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we any better than they? Oh, wait a minute. This is the wrong version here. So let's start again. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we read this. We understood this was not something the Apostle Paul came up with. This is written in the law and the prophets. Israel knew this. This is something God told Israel. So, when if this is the true condition, and it's not just the true condition for people who don't have the law, 
is the true condition for everybody, the solution must be forthcoming in order to overcome the problems associated with the bad news. So as we think about the bad news and, and we examine these scriptures, we realize if this is our case, if this is who we are, we cannot please God. Well, what, what does God think of us? If we were to put it in language we can understand, here it is. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if this is who we are, and, the, and we're talking about as far as our nature is concerned, we are this way because of what happened uh, with Adam. And when Adam sinned, he developed a rebellious nature that was passed down to all of his descendants. <coughs> Excuse me. So, what is the result? This is what Israel needed to know, and the apostles telling them straight. Now we know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Well, why do... Why should the whole world be silenced or shut up, is what God is saying. You have nothing to say to me because of who you are. This is what God thinks of us. But it's not what we think of ourselves. So when we think about God's uh, opinion, remember, we're seeking justification from God, not from each other. Now, if, if I'm acting in a way that others around me say is righteous, and that's good enough for me, then that make, might make me feel good. But I, at, when it comes to God, here's his opinion about who I am and my unregenerate state. So this is how we have to see it. God is saying, you don't have anything to say to me. Your mouth must be silenced. And the whole world is accountable to God. So therefore... Because of all of that, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You can't be if that is your nature, if God already thinks that of you. What can you do to make yourself righteous? After I already told you, it doesn't matter. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. None righteous. Mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Go, you could go on with all that is said there. No one will be declared righteous. That is not the way to God. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So we're aware of our condition. And this is interesting. Paul calls the law in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he calls the law the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation. So this goes right along with through the law we become conscious of sin. The law helps us understand that about ourselves. So if we know that about ourselves, what do we need to know next? Who the Savior is. How can we relieve ourselves of the position in which we find ourselves. So, back to our... No now, of course, it can, if you continue to read about the righteousness, from, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith. And here it is. It is not through works. It is not through your obedience to the law. It's not through your becoming moral where you were immoral. It's not repenting of some sins and feeling sorry for some sins. It is through faith. We're going to have to define what faith is in a little bit. 
in Jesus Christ, and here it is, to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. No difference. Meaning, that obviously, the law has no effect here when it comes to salvation. I'm going to go back to our notes. Stand by. So that was point two in our notes, B2, and I'm going to B3 now. For those working hard for a grace salvation, God's way of righteousness by faith is an insult to their law-keeping. Let's think about this point for a moment. Because salvation by grace, it is through faith. And when, when it doesn't take into account any works whatsoever, no obedience is required before or after salvation in order for you to receive eternal life. Just think about that. No obedience. But there are a lot of Christians who will judge you based on how you behave after you are saved. They'll say, yeah, you're saved, as long as you do thus and so. So when you tell them that your salvation is by grace and has nothing to do with your behavior, guess what that leaves you free to do? To show what your true intention and the motivation of your heart really is. If you tell me I'm saved, but I have to keep the law, or I have to be moral, or I have to do this, or I have to do that, then okay. I might say okay to that. But you never really know what my motive is. Because I may have that hanging over my head as a condition for salvation. But it's not a condition for salvation. If you never have one good work in your life, not one, you would be just as saved. Because, <laughs> in fact, it says the opposite. It says salvation is not by works. It's not. It's a gift. And you, you can't earn it. You don't deserve a gift. It is grace. So his way of... So when people are working really hard for their salvation, we're talking Israel here. They had the law, they had all these particular things that they did and wouldn't do and ate and wouldn't eat and would touch and wouldn't touch and on and on. What they they worshipped on and uh, everything was peculiar, different for Israel. And they thought that that difference made them righteous before God. And when you tell them that, hey, none of that matters in terms of your justification because you know, it's by faith. It's simply believing. That's it. It is an insult to them. And they respond in just that way. Usually the, it goes something like this. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Are you saying we can just keep right on sinning and it won't matter? Or, or what are you saying? You could just go out and be a murderer and God's still going to save you? You know, you've heard all these things. And this is typical of someone who does not understand grace. In fact, I never heard anybody teaching grace and said that you should go out and do all those things. But none of those things, remember Christ paid for every sin that we would ever commit. Every sin. Why? Because we have a sin nature. It is our nature to sin. And we don't even know when we're sinning. Sometimes. Sometimes we certainly do. Point four, the righteousness Israel sought was elusive at best and the devil's snare at worst. So they were never going to get righteous through keeping the law. Never. So it was elusive. It was always going to be escaping them. It was like, it was like if you've ever been to the, uh, the dog track where the dogs are running but they have a little rabbit uh, you know, I guess it's sort of, you know, helping the dogs get the right pace and all of that. But the, the dogs never actually catch the rabbit. But the rabbit runs just ahead of the dogs, enough for the dogs to have that motivation. But they never can catch the rabbit. You know, that's one of the, one, what I mean by it's elusive. They're never going to catch up to the righteous standard that God provides, that, that he provides in grace if they're pursuing it through works. But they're seeking it, they want it, 
but they're pursuing it in the wrong way. And the devil's devil snare at best, well, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says it best. We, we have to know what we're doing here. I'm just going to read it, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Hold on. Let's see if I can find it. 2 Corinthians 4. Here. Paul says it. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let's just think about this for just a moment. We won't take too long here. But if... If we're talking about a gospel that is by grace and it's through faith, there is no works necessary. There's nothing you have to do. It is a matter of humbling yourself before God and accepting his way of salvation. That's really what it is a matter of. So if Satan is busy trying to hide or blind the minds of unbelievers, what must he be doing? How can he blind the minds of unbelievers when there is nothing but grace, a free gift that you have to receive, that you should believe? What's he going to do? How does he blind the mind of somebody who is, you know, who Christ died for? Well, he's got to make that person their own savior. That person has to think that their works mean something before God. That's how he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He makes them think that Christ's work is no good, not going to not be sufficient or efficacious, and that the work that they do, which they tangibly see, is efficacious before God. That's a problem. So I'm going to move along. Not that we are want to go fast, but I just want to make sure... Uh, we get through this, and we've covered a lot of this already, so this is sort of review here. So that's point number four. The righteousness Israel sought was elusive at best and the devil's snare at worst. Point C, one clear point is missing in many Christian circles. And this one clear point is clear. I mean, they don't talk enough about the free salvation they do get the cart before the horse. Be sure about the salvation before you go out and do great things for God. Most people got the motivation to go out and do great things for God, but they don't know much about salvation. It should be the reverse. That's what's missing in a lot of Christian circles, or I could say churches. They talk a lot about what works you ought to be doing. What sins you ought to be staying away from. But uh, very little about salvation by grace. Which is the, the entry point to the Christian life. So you wonder, what's going on there? Why is the emphasis on works rather than when it comes to believing in Christ? Explain believing. Why not? So that's, a, that's missing in a lot of churches. They trivialize it. They talk about inviting Christ into your heart and all these different things that gives you salvation when really it would be better to just use the words of Scripture to talk about salvation. We're moving forward. Point number two. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So the first thought is the apostle quotes from Deuteronomy uh, thirty fourteen, in this this uh, phrase. Let's take a look at the context. Deuteronomy thirty and fourteen. Let's go there. Deuteronomy thirty and fourteen. Okay, so why not go back a bit because. Because we'll get the whole context. We'll start at 11, Deuteronomy 30, 11. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, 
who will ascend to, into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea. So that you have to ask, <coughs> excuse me, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the, in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So now, back to our notes here. So he's quoting from this verse. The word is near you, it is in your mouth, in your heart. So again, this is the Apostle Paul just as we saw in the previous verses where he took verses from the law and he's using them to illustrate grace. And the point that he's trying to make here is that Israel can do this. It is not too hard for Israel to do it. And just like Israel was tasked with keeping the law so that they would enter the land and that God would not discipline them with death, that they would be able to abide in the land. Well, in the same way, Israel could have done that, but it was a matter of what? Humbling themselves and becoming obedient. But they didn't have to go do it, bring the law down from heaven, because it was already there. The law was, was given them. It was read to them. It was in their heart. It, it, was, in, it was in their hand. They had all kinds of ways to illustrate the law. But, but notice, this is not about having eternal life. This is the Apostle Paul using the words of what was happening with Israel to illustrate a point about salvation. And here's, here's what it says uh, in point B. Moses' point to the Israelites is to, obey the law, is, is to obey the law as a nation before God. And that's what we just saw in Deuteronomy 30, 15. He was saying they can do it. It, it, it. It's within their grasp. It is not hard for them to obey God. What does it require? What's the thing that it requires? It, it, what it requires of them is humbling themselves. So that's point C. Israel could have done it God's way, which is the horse before the cart. It was a matter of humbling themselves before God. And that's what they refused to do, was to humble themselves and say, okay, God, what is your way? I mean, it's almost like God telling Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son, your, the one you love. I want you to take him on a mountain. I will show you, and I want you to make a burnt offering before God. And so Abraham did. He, I'm sure... He, didn't he did not understand what God wanted him to do, but he knew that God said, do it. So Abraham did it God's way, we have to say. He, he did. He got up. It didn't say he was worried. It just says he did it. And then God held him and he says, now I know, Abraham, you passed the test. So it's a matter of humbling ourselves so that we come to understand God's way. And that's what it was for the Israelites. They could have done that and entered the land. Now, you know what happened. A lot of They were turned back from entering the land because they wouldn't believe when God said they could take the land. This was at Kadesh Barnea. And they refused to go in and God 
had to discipline many of them with death. Point D. Many have taken the law from Israel and applied it to themselves. So I'm, I'm using one Ezekiel 33:11 for this, but man, there's a lot of verses around this thought. Ezekiel 1, 33, 11. I should have picked a more popular one. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and all that. But he's talking to Israel. But notice, humble. So verse 33, 11. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? I just, I just like that verse because it's clear, it's direct, and God is pleading with them. Please turn. You can do this, but Israel was stubborn. They refused. So point E. It is the same with us today. We must humble ourselves to accept the good news, the good and the bad news. Right? So it's both, right? Because people who think that their works matter before God have not read the scriptures that say of what God's opinion of them really are. They have not understood why they're unacceptable to God. They don't know why they need salvation in the first place they haven't accepted the bad news. So what do they need to do? They need to humble themselves and accept God's way. This is, we're not trying to become righteous or saved with reference to ourselves. We're trying to be righteous before God. And the only way we can do that is if we are able, um, if we are able to humble ourselves and to think about what does make us acceptable before God. And he tells us. He tells us what the bad news is and he tells us what the good news is. So, point F, salvation righteousness is within our reach just like the law was in their reach to obey it. So, salvation righteousness can be ours. Oh, and just like it says, it's free, it's by grace. And uh, it's just like the law was in their reach to obey it as well. It was a matter of humbling ourselves before God. And you know, I find that same stubborn resistance in some today when you give them the gospel and they want works as their standard before God. They want God to know that they've done something. They want to feel proud that their lives matter, that they're better or something. You know, they, they just got a, that arrogant attitude that I'm going to do it my way. Right? As I'm not going to submit to you, God, no matter what. I've got to do it my way. And that is not what it means to humbly submit to God and his way of salvation. Remember, God's the only way person who can save us. We even if I think you're righteous, I cannot pronounce you saved. I can say that what the scripture says, if you believe in the Lord, then yeah, you're saved. But this is something God has to do for every person, and God knows the heart. So it's within our reach. So just like obeying the law, Israel didn't have to go up to heaven to bring it down or cross the sea to get it and bring it back. It wasn't all that. It was just, it's here. The word is near you. It's, the mess, it's, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And that's what he means by it's near us. It's, the, the law was, was understood in the heart. People knew what they were supposed to do. It wasn't like, well, I don't quite know. I don't understand. They knew. But it was a matter of them refusing to obey God. Point number three, that is the message concerning faith we proclaim, that we proclaim. So a few points here and we're done. 
with this verse. Just as the law was taught to Israel, so was the way of righteousness. Okay, so this first point is basically just to say that Israel understood their, the law as a means of conduct before God in the land. They also knew about the sacrifice of animals, the substitutionary death on their behalf for their sins. They knew about the Day of Atonement, on and on. They knew about Abraham, how he was justified by faith. He didn't have the law. They knew about all this, but they chose to distinguish themselves by seeking a righteousness that was elusive and it was a snare. So they were taught. In fact, there was a scripture in Hebrews I was going to bring, which I see I didn't put it here, but it was in my head to, to put it in, where it says, they received the good news just as we received the good news. Point B, the message we preach is very near us in your mouth and in your heart. What could be closer? If you think about what's closer to you, really everything we think about and everything we talk about is what we are about. It's in your heart, it's in your mouth. That's what we're about. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have that verse for uh, what's wicked in the person. In other words, if their heart is evil, just like we saw unbelievers. But God is able to change the heart. He's able to do it. it these are all metaphors, so to speak. When he says he takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. <laughs> These are all metaphors. And it takes humility on our part to understand and for our heart to become a heart of flesh. It means we, we understand God's way. We trust God and we're going to do it his way. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, so it's very near us. What could be closer? We can understand in our heart and we can profess it with our mouth. That <clears throat> literally is all that is required of us when it comes to salvation. There is no uh, working out our salvation in terms of, uh, you know, trying to be obedient, trying to stay moral, whatever the society deems morality is. That's what we have to be. All these things are not about salvation. If we say not of works, we mean it. I don't know what other churches mean when they say it. I can tell you what it means when I say it. It means that we do not bring or require any works whatsoever before, during, or after salvation. It is absolutely, completely, uncomplicated with any works whatsoever. It is free. It's a gift. You did not earn it. The only thing you can do with a gift is receive it or reject it. You can say, no, I don't, I don't want the gift. And that means you don't believe. But if you receive it, the only way to receive it is to believe it. To as many as received him, even those who have believed on his name, says John 1, 12 and 13. So, it, it, it is the closest to us. There is nothing we have to do. We don't have to go to heaven, bring Christ down. We don't have to go to the depths of the sea or, or to the Hades to bring Christ up from the dead. We don't have to do any of that. All we have to do is believe. Now, believing requires submitting to God's requirements, his, what he, his way of salvation, which is grace. So point C, the message of faith for them was the same for us. However, we, and that is the church, will never be under the Mosaic law. Never will we be under the Mosaic law. So think about that. Even after salvation, the Mosaic law is not our way of life. So they had the message of faith. 
in the Old Testament. They understood what salvation was. They had models, fathers. Abraham was the father of faith. He, everybody understood that. That's why Paul used it in Romans 4, used him rather. But even after salvation, we will never be under the Mosaic law. It is not for us. It is for Israel, a nation. And we will never be, the church will never be a nation before God on the earth. The church is not of the earth. We are of heaven. We don't belong down here. We are pilgrims and strangers in this world. So that's who we are. We'll never be under the Mosaic law. So stop looking at all those scriptures that deal with the Mosaic law as a nation on the earth because that's not who we are. Point D, let's review faith, right? Because faith is the only requirement for a us. This is what we have to bring to the table. Faith is the only requirement from us to receive this grace, salvation, righteousness. So you would think and understand that this is the point at which the devil would try to confuse and distort salvation by grace through faith. He can't do anything about the salvation by grace. It's already done. Christ did all the work. But what can he do? He can distort. He can twist. He can manipulate people into thinking that there is some other requirement. And soon as they do, just like it says in Romans eleven six, and it, and if it is by grace, then there is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Well, you cancel grace when you add works to it. If it's by if you put works in a grace salvation, then you don't have a grace salvation anymore. So you cancel grace and you might think you're saved but you're not saved by God by grace so we have to talk about we need to review what faith is faith is looking away from yourself and today you know I've seen a lot of uh, statements and you know with the kids around the grandkids I watch a lot of cartoons with them and shows and there's a common theme in those cartoons and shows. You gotta believe in yourself. You gotta trust, believe you can do it. You can believe in yourself. You can do it and you will do it and all this stuff, right? It's not the same in everyone, but it's that theme. That's, and yes, I mean, you gotta give kids self-esteem. I, I get that. I understand that. I know what it is. But when it comes to this, Faith looks away from yourself. When it comes to salvation, you can't do it. You cannot bring salvation to yourself by how hard you might want it. If that were so, all the Jews would already have it. Because they wanted it bad. But the, if it's the only requirement that we look away from ourselves, imagine that. Faith looks away from, from itself to another for action so that whatever is desired is not performed by them. So, for instance, we look in faith to Christ for salvation. And even when it comes to the word of God, we, we call the word of God the faith. This is a synonym for God. Well, what, why do we call it the faith? It's because we look away from ourselves to the word for truth, for God's direction and instruction in our lives. So we call it the word of faith, even. We call it faith as the body of truth. So it's not from us, it's from God. And our faith is not, I hope I get this, or some wish list of things that we want for ourselves. Faith is looking away from ourselves to another for knowledge, truth, or some action, some power. Knowledge, truth, or some power. So, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Well, by faith, how, how, how do we get that? 
Some people don't believe that. Well, it's because they don't trust. They don't, they don't look away from their, themselves to God in order to arrive at that knowledge. They look to man and say, well, man said we got here by evolution. Man said there was a big bang, everything, all this matter flung out in space. I don't know where space came from. I don't know where matter came from. I don't know where this big explosion came from. But anyway, let's just look past all that and say all that just happened. And then somehow planets cooled off and somewhere far from the sun. I don't know how we got all this. And then next thing you know, we're here talking about it. I tell you, it really requires a lot of faith to believe that. Because you got to trust in all those things that man has said. But true faith, true faith is saying, yeah, I believe by God. He has the power. He, he can do it. I trust he is power, more powerful than me. I can just look around and tell you that this world is beyond man's capabilities. I can just tell you that. I don't even have to be a scientist to know that. And I can tell you that God is real. And I can trust in what he says and his word. So we look away from ourselves to God for knowledge, truth, or some action or power. That's faith. We don't, when we say we have faith, we don't look at ourselves. This is where people say, well, I'm dedicating my life to Christ. And they think that's salvation. Well, how is that faith? That's not faith. Because you're telling God, I promise to give you my life. And I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm dedicating my life to you. You know, when, when, a, uh, when, when the Jews dedicated someone as a Nazarene, they said, I'm dedicating my child to you. Yahweh, and then that would mean that that child had to do special things and he could never cut his hair, he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. It was a dedication of that child's life. But for salvation, that's not what we do. Salvation is simply look away from ourselves and Christ did all the heavy lifting. The Father in Christ, he brought him up, from, he resurrected him, he approved him, everything is set. All we have to do is humble ourselves and follow God's way of salvation. That's it. It's the only requirement. So that is where Satan would get in and monkey around with the way people are thinking about these things, about faith. You look away from yourself. Well, what are we looking away from? Well, we need to look away from ourselves when it comes to salvation, because what are we? Spiritually dead, separated from God, with an old sin nature, propensity to sin, none righteous, condemned before God, before we even got started, we were condemned already. And these, this is the way, when we need to look away from ourselves. This is what we need to do, is look away from ourselves. Because we can't help ourselves. We, like Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me? From this body of death. And, and Paul then began to look away from himself. He didn't think he could get out of it. He tried, but he couldn't. So he looked away from himself. That's faith. Faith, everybody has it. It's what you choose to exercise it on. Do you want to believe in yourself? Do you want to believe in man? What do you want to believe in? Other men? You want to trust in intuition? What, what would you rather trust? What seems right to you? Or would you like to trust the word of God? Which says the grass may wither, the flower may fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So that's it. You can have, like it said, it's, it's near you. So right where you sit right now, it's near you. The word we're talking about, the word of faith, the message that we proclaim concerning faith. So right in the, your heart, you can tell, you, you know what the bad news is. You understand your condition before God. You know that because of what happened with Adam there, you're condemned already. You know that you had a sin nature and that there's none righteous, not even one. And you know that Christ came and he lived 
a perfect life before the Father. He paid for every sin we could ever commit, past, present, or future. And if we believe in Christ, we are born again, born by the Spirit. So what does it require for you to believe? It means you understand God's way of salvation and you put your trust, you're, you're looking away from yourself to his way, his provisions for you. And you just are telling God the Father in your heart as we sit. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart right now. You can tell God the Father that you believe in Jesus Christ. And the moment you do that, God hears you. He knows the heart. He says you will have eternal life if you do that. It is near you. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to shake my hand. I don't have to pronounce anything over you. You don't have to say the magic words. All you have to do is in your heart, believe it. It is that close to you. And with the heart, as we're going to read next week, man believes and is righteous. That is what the, the very thing the Jews craved and yearned for, that they would be righteous before God. The very thing that was, I said, was elusive because they were, they were proceeding to get it by the law. And it became a snare to them as well. So you can have eternal life right now by just believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you will have life in his name. Let's take some time now as we have, um, we normally do. We're going to take a few moments for some Q&A. If there is Q&A, I'm not forcing questions out of you. But if there are questions or thoughts before we close, we'd like to address them at this time. So the floor is open. Well, I'd like to say that brought up a lot of wonderful thoughts. Um, uh, some of the things that I think thought about when you were talking about the definition of faith is um, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And I remember you used to say, what does God expect from you, you know, when, you, when you're learning about him? And that is, just show up. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, just, just be in his presence. Take advantage of the opportunity to hear what he has to say. Don't be dancing around and singing and doing all this stuff to try to impress him. Um, and, and the one thing you said about... Um, Make sure of your salvation before you go out and do great things for God. Or even that, even that term, great things, um, can change drastically whether or not you've, um, undergone any kind of transformation, um, after your salvation. So before salvation, you might think that, you know, doing certain good deeds are the great things that you can do for God. And if you're, newly saved, you might not be uh, transformed yet to think any differently about what those great things mean. Um, but with the transformation process in 12, uh, Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know the perfect will of God. Um, then we come to know what is it that we can do for him? How can we cooperate in his plan? And what and knowing his plan is, is a huge step. And thank you. Well, absolutely, and thank you for directing us to Romans chapter twelve, one and two. Since you did, I'd like to read it, uh, if you don't mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, I love I love those scriptures. Because it says that God is on an intellectual level, not just an emotional level. It says that there is information to be had 
when it comes to God. We can't just think we're going to serve God with our emotions. God is the spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We're not going to be able to worship God and know what his will is unless we are our minds are transformed. And that's that is another lesson for us for another day because we won't have time to really unpack it all, but I love it. Yeah, it's, again, we, but I'll, I'll uh, the floor is still open. Go right ahead. Yeah, you know, the, the whole sermon that you just did, the whole study that we just went over, it, it was so ironic because I just had this whole conversation with the minister yesterday. And he was, I don't want to say he was arrogant, but he was, he just kept wanting me to know that he was this ordained minister and, you know, he had a mission for the people. And I'm listening, I'm listening, you know. He just kept throwing his credentials at me. And he said, are you ordained? I said, no, I'm not ordained. <laughs> and, and, you know, he said, I said, but, I said, but I have a royal priesthood. And he, he said, oh, everybody that believes in Christ got one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he just he just smacked it down like it was, it was nothing, you know. So I said, well, well, I said, well, what about this? I said, you know, sometimes I teach ministers. I, and, and he got a little quiet, right? He, he didn't expect me to say that to him. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking. And he kept telling me about salvation by works. And he just kept telling me about salvation by works. And I had to let him talk because... He felt like he was the ordained minister in the group. <laughs> so mm-hmm. finally, when I got a chance to talk, and I kept telling him about salvation by grace, and, and it didn't really. I told everything that we just talked about in, in the study. I, I told him yesterday, but with a different caveat. He didn't really get it until I, I gave him the understanding about Adam. Mm-hmm. When I told him that, you know. God had told Adam that the day he eat of that fruit, he shall surely die. And I said, but he lived to be over 900 years old. And I asked him what happened. And he really didn't know what happened. And I said, well, you know, he did die the day he ate of that fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and then he, he understood that, oh, oh, you, you mean he was separated from God? I said, yes, yes. And that's mm-hmm. the way we come in this world. Yes. I said, we come in this world separated from God. That's the way we're born. I said, but look at your father and go back to your father and his father and his father. At the end, there stands Adam. And I explained to him that um, God condemned the whole human race in Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it started kind of clicking to him where I was going with this. And I'm saying, this is the way we all come into this world, condemned mm-hmm. on our way to the lake of fire. Said, not because of anything that we had did. It's because of what Adam did. I said, so your works and all this good stuff that you're trying to do and you want to do, that, that's not going to get you saved or keep you saved. I said, the only thing that's going to save you is you totally, and you, you kept saying this one word, looking away from yourself. I kept saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. I said, you totally look away from yourself and look towards what Christ did on the cross on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And that's salvation for you. There's right. nothing that you can do to, to gain salvation or keep your salvation. It's all about Christ on the cross. And then he was getting it. And then I said, well, you, you know Nicodemus. And I, I told him about the story of Nicodemus. You must, because I asked him again, we had this conversation about, can you lose it? And he said, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this ordained minister. Mm-hmm. And I explained to him about Nicodemus. And he was saying to me, I was saying to him that, um, well, you know, when you was born, could you go back? Was there anything you could do? Could you have prevented being born or could you have stopped being born? He said, no. It was the same way when you're born again in Christ. You can't go back. There's nothing you can do. True. And he starts he starts saying things like, he said, oh, man, I'm going to use that in my next sermon. I got to use that. He said, yeah. Yeah, I like that. You know? And uh, it, it was just so ironic. I don't know how, how, how much I really touched him, but... He, he kind of at least bowed down a little bit. He wasn't, came off the porch a little bit, and he was listening. 
Well, that's uh, we'll pray for him. And um, but yeah, no, it sounds like a productive conversation. And you know how it goes um, when it comes to grace. It is a matter of humbling themselves, but not so much before us, but before God's way, before God and his way. If this is the way God is asking of us to come, then why would we try to go up another? Christ says thieves and robbers try to go up a different way. He says, but if you come through me, you will be able to come in and find green pastures. And so that's that's the idea. I'll just point out, thanks for that that thought. Uh, and continue to to witness. That's that's what God would have you do as a as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador before him. But I would just point out um, the scripture in uh, was it first Timothy chapter two. It is God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That be saved part is is large because that is where a person will have to humble themselves. It might be for the first time before God to say, God, okay, you tell me, how can I be saved? What do I need to do? Just like that jailer, the Philippian jailer said to the uh, Apostle Paul and Silas while they were in prison, Sirs, he said, what must I do that I might have eternal life, that I might be saved? And what did they say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Just like us. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to become an apostle. You don't have to do all these things. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have eternal life. I will pause to see if there are other thoughts out there before we close. Yeah, I just have one thought. Um, looking at the two thieves and one of them, um, he looked away from himself and looked at Christ. And he, he really humbled himself. And he asked, he said, well, I, we deserve this, but you don't. Right. But he also asked for Christ um, um, he Christ. He had to. Well, he he, he believed in Christ, and, he, and, and Christ told the day you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. That's really that guy. He looked away from, from he, he looked away from his, himself and, and looked at Christ. He said, "This man didn't, didn't do anything." So that's a part of him being humble. Yeah, yeah. He humbled himself before Christ. So that Christ was able to say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely so. What was the difference between those two men? Could both of them have humbled themselves and put their faith in Christ, looked away from themselves to Christ? Yes. One was on either side of him. And yet one did and one didn't. Good point to make. Yeah, we, we, it's funny that uh, Dave should bring that up because we, we, we went on to that, that last night also because he was saying how people got to work their way into heaven. You just don't, just don't get into heaven. You work your way up to it. It's not just a, a minute thing. <laughs> I was saying, well, what about the people on the cross? <laughs> he said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. You know? That's right. <laughs> it's funny he brought that up, yeah. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I would say that that is the thought to help us understand even more of the, it's just within our hands, it's within our power. Well, we know John 3.18, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the reason. So we're going to have to close Thank you guys for your thoughts, comments. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna close this session out, but we're definitely gonna keep our thoughts about faith and the word of faith and righteousness and what it takes and the fact that salvation is right here in front of us. We'll get to more of this next week, this context, but uh, at this point, we're gonna close it out with a word of prayer. 
Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We appreciate the fact that salvation is free. It does not cost anything. No works are involved. All we have to do is receive it by faith. So, Father, thank you so much for the gift. As we go into this new year, we pray that you will give us wisdom so that we can know how to walk. We can manage and navigate through this evil world as we continue to hold forth the word of life. Thank you for those who have joined us. Again, we pray for those who are sick among us, those who are grieving. And we ask that if in some way we can be a light to those who may not know your glorious gospel of truth. Thank you for this word that is on our lips. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.